You know, God saved you from more than you've ever seen. God has saved you from more than you'll ever taste, from more than you'll ever touch, from more than you'll ever have to experience. As I said when I was giving testimony, I saved as a 10-year-old boy, and uh, God saved me from the same hell as the drunkard, and the same hell as the dope addict. But there's a lot that He spared me of, too, when He saved me at that age. And He saved me from things, when I think of what my life would be without the Lord, uh, He saved me from things that I have never had to experience. And only heaven will tell the full tale of all that He's done for me. I thought about this as Melissa was singing. I thought about Psalms chapter number 37. And uh, verse 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. It says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I remember hearing years ago, somebody had got a hold of George Mueller's Bible. And uh, they had, were reading through it, and they came to this passage of Scripture, and they saw where it says that, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And over in the margin, Mr. Mueller had written, and the stops. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, not just the steps, but the stops are ordered by the Lord. Where would Joseph have been without the stops in his life? Hey, listen, he would have never stopped by that pit and climbed down in there on his own. He would have never stopped down at the slave market in Egypt and stood on the slaver's block. He would have never stopped to be a servant in Potiphar's house. He would have never stopped down in the prison. He would have never stopped at any of these places. But God stopped him there because God was working. God was doing something. You say, preacher, my steps are ordered to the Lord, but right now I'm not stepping. I'm stopping. Well, your stops are ordered too. And you can trust the Lord, even in the stops as well as the steps. I just, I guess I need to preach. I don't know. Amen. I got a message. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 25. I never know what to do when it gets good like this. I, I, I feel like I'll just hush and sit down. And, uh, but I believe the Lord has a message for us today. Leviticus chapter number 25 this morning. Leviticus chapter Number 25, normally I say if you're a student of the Bible, you know what's going on here. But I'm going to be honest with you, even if you're a student of the Bible, you might not know what's going on in Leviticus 25. It's an oft-neglected book of the Bible, and that's really a tragedy. So much rich truth that points to Christ and Calvary and the finished work of the Lord is found there. But this morning I want us to take a few moments and look at something that God ordained and prescribed for the life of Israel. As a people, and I want us to think a little bit about it this morning. Maybe the Lord will help us. I know that He will. He's faithful too if we'll let Him, uh, this morning. Leviticus chapter number 25, and let's begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 13. Leviticus chapter 25, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant and for thy maid and for thy hired servant and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee. 
For thy cattle and for the beasts that are in thy land shall all the increase thereof be meat. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee. Seven times seven years. And the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you, ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. We'll stop there and pray. Lord, we love you this morning. You've been so good to us already. Lord, you've already shown up. I believe with full heart, Lord, this morning that if a lost, unregenerate person came in here with an open heart and a rational mind, they'd have to know and testify that there's a God in heaven, that He takes interest in humanity, that He saves sinners, that He loves those that believe on Him and and, and trust in Him. And Lord, I think there's been enough evidence in this place already of Your presence, Your working, Your power, that, Lord, we just have to step back and praise you and thank you for your goodness and for your interest in our lives. But, Lord, we desire more this morning. We desire to hear the Word of God preached. We desire for the Holy Ghost to have liberty to work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Lord, as we approach your Word this morning, help us to have obedient minds. Help us to have open, sincere hearts. And may we desire and allow you to work in us that which would bring you the most glory. Now, Lord, I'll not catalog everything that could need to be done this morning. I'll just say, Lord, if it needs done in hearts, do it. And, Lord, do it in such a way that we might magnify Christ and glorify you and that we might have seen your hand evident in the matter. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 25 is a fascinating passage of Scripture. It sets forth essentially two principles that would guide and govern much of the public life of the nation of Israel when they dwelt in the land. One had to do with the keeping of Sabbath years. Now, as you study through the Bible, you are no doubt familiar with the idea of the Sabbath day. And by the way, let me say the Sabbath day is not for New Testament believers. Christ is our Sabbath. He is our rest. The Sabbath has nothing to do with us as saved New Testament believers. We observe the Lord's Day, which is the day that the Lord rose uh, from the grave, victorious. We're going to celebrate it not just next week, but every week around here. And uh, that's the day that, that we celebrate, not the Sabbath day. New Testament believers don't celebrate the Sabbath. By the way, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not reinforced in the New Testament is the keeping of the Sabbath. You say, preacher, why is that? Because now uh, we have entered into a new and living way, uh, which is consecrated through His flesh, that is, uh, through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. He is our Sabbath now. But every seventh day, being Saturday, they, they would observe the Sabbath day for the Jews. That would begin Friday evening, going into what we would call Saturday. And that's how they reckon their time and their calendar, the evening and the morning being the first day. 
But beyond the Sabbath day, the Bible teaches that they were also to observe Sabbath years. In other words, they could labor and till and toil in the land for six years. And at the end of that, in the seventh year, they were to let the land rest. But then the Bible also in this passage deals not just with the Sabbath year, but with the Jubilee year. Now, we use that terminology a lot. In fact, this past week, we, we went down, me and Brother Zach, to a Jubilee meeting. And uh, everybody was, you know, buying and selling land and planting and everything. So I guess it wasn't what the Bible calls Jubilee, but, but we enjoyed that good time and some good preaching. Uh, but the Jubilee year for the Jews was the 50th year. And it was a special time of celebration. It was a hallowed time of, of remembering the Lord and His goodness in their lives. And it was a time when the Lord prescribed several things that they were to follow. And when you look at this passage, you may think, well, preacher, this don't have anything to do with my life. Here I am, a saved Gentile, an independent Baptist church here in East Tennessee. What could the Jubilee have to do with my life? But you know, in this Jubilee year, we find some good things that God wants for all of His people. Not just for Jews in the Old Testament, but He was teaching principles through this Jubilee year that apply to your life and my life as saved individuals in this dispensation of grace. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning, Jubilee or judgment. And before we're done, you'll see that we all have the choice in our life, either Jubilee or judgment. You say, preacher, what's this jubilee all about? Well, notice with me, number one this morning, the reason for the jubilee. It wasn't simply that God got tired of watching them toil and till their land and wanted a break from it. It wasn't simply that God got tired of watching their hired servants labor and wanted to see them free. It wasn't just that God got tired of people selling land and making real estate transactions. It's that all of these things conveyed to Israel deeper principles about how God wanted them to walk. Hey, by the way, all of the New Testament is that way to a degree. These things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. Those things, they may have not been written to us, but certainly they were written for us. Not that we might follow in the letter of the law, but in the liberty of the Spirit of God, recognizing and seeing the truths that God sought to communicate to Israel. You see, in many ways, the Old Testament law was the preschool. It was the picture book of divine revelation, and it was meant to communicate deeper truths. And when we look at this Jubilee year, we find there are three things that God required in the Jubilee year. And all three of these teach us deeper spiritual truths. One of the things we noticed in reading our text is that just as in the Sabbath year they were commanded to let the land rest, so likewise in the 50th year, the Jubilee year, they were commanded to let the land rest. The Bible says they were not to sow or to reap or to till or to dress their vineyards, but the Bible says instead they were to eat of the fruit of the land. Look with me at verse 19 of this chapter. The Bible says this, The land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fill, and dwell therein in safety. And if ye shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessing upon you. (laughs) Oh my! I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. Ye shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of the old fruit until the ninth year. Until her fruits come in, ye shall eat of the old store. You say, preacher, why would God command this? Number one, that they might walk in faith. 
The land of Canaan was a fruitful land. It was the kind of land where if you put the time and the labor and the energy in, you could yield fruits upon fruits upon fruits. And I found this, that often in our life when God blesses us with bounty, when God blesses us with abundance, when God blesses us to overflowing, so often our flesh causes us to neglect and turn from the Lord and not trust in Him and depend upon Him and walk with Him. I got news for you this morning. This thing of the Christian life is a matter of faith, walking with the Lord. Uh, The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. God will never put you in a situation where you don't need Him anymore. You might get yourself in a situation where you think you don't need Him anymore. But God will never put you in a situation where you can sit back and say, well, we don't need the Lord anymore. We've got it all figured out. I wonder how much of the Christian life and Christian energy is spent trying to get to a place where we don't need Him anymore. I'm going to say it again. Till you amen that better. I wonder how much of our time and energy is spent trying to get to a place where we don't need Him anymore. It's funny how twisted up believers get when God puts them in a situation where they got to trust in Him. Don't you know this whole thing's about trusting in Him? Uh, things go sideways. They all fall apart. Man, we get in a situation we don't know what to do. We got more month than, uh, we got more bills than we got month. Uh, we, we, we've got more troubles than we've got strength. We've got more battles than we have swords. And we get into a place where we got to call on the Lord and we get angry. We get upset. Lord, how could you let me get in this situation? Hey, it was always the plan for you to get in this situation that you might lean on the Lord and trust in the Lord and depend upon the Lord. So God had deliberately structured their agricultural life such that every seven years, man, they'd have to just sit back and watch God bless them and meet their need and provide for them in a way that was beyond their capability to do so. God designed this that they might walk in faith. But then there's a second uh, ordinance that God gave for the Jubilee year. The Bible says down in verse number 23, it says, The land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. Down in verse 28, it even says this, But if he be not able to restore it to him, meaning a man can't get the land back that uh, he had sold away, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. So every 50th year, the Bible tells us that God would reset the boundaries of the land back to the original tribes and to the original families. You say, preacher, that's interesting. Why would God do such a thing as that? Well, we're told in our text. Look down at verse 14. The Bible says this, If thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, thou shalt buy of thy neighbor. And according unto the number of years of the fruits, he shall sell unto thee. According to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price thereof. And according to the fewness of years, thou shalt diminish the price of it. For according to the number of the years of the fruits, doth he sell unto thee. In other words, they couldn't sell, make real estate transactions beyond that 50th year, beyond that Jubilee year. Everything they ever had, they had to lease one to another. If it was changing hands between the families and between the tribes. Why did God prescribe this? Well, verse 17 says, says, ye shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. 
Wherefore ye shall do my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land in safety. Why did God command this of the children of Israel? Well, the principle was simple and was sound. God said, it's not your land, it's my land. And I have set these boundaries within the land, and you don't have the right to move those boundaries. It's my land, it's not your land. And if you fear me, you won't try to oppress one another, and you won't try to move those boundaries. In fact, three times in our text, God uses this reason for the Jubilee year. Verse 17, He says, Ye shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. Verse 36, He says, Take thou no usury of him, or increase, but fear thy God that thy brother may live with thee. Verse 43, he says, Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God. You say, preacher, why did God uh, give the Jubilee year to the Jews? Well, one, that they might walk in faith, but two, that they might walk in fear. That they might learn that God's a holy God that sets boundaries in our life. And that those boundaries must be reverenced and respected and regarded and that we cannot merely cast aside the boundaries of God and live any old way that we want to, that if we do, we'll not dwell safely in the land. Hey, God is not so insecure in His holiness that He gets just personally offended whenever you sin. God loves you and He desires the best for you and He has prescribed the best for you in His Word and He wants what is best for you. And when you go contrary to the commandments of God... You are volunteering for a lesser life than the one God has ordained for you. He wants you to walk in fear that you might dwell safely in the land. They needed to fear the Lord. So why did they have the Jubilee? Well, that they might walk in faith and that they might walk in fear. But there's a third principle that would happen. The Bible teaches that the the Hebrew people, they were not allowed to keep what the Bible calls bond servants of other Hebrews. Now, a bond servant is somebody that would be sold for life. Instead, they could have what we call hired servants. Now, by the way, before you get so scandalized by your King James Bible, anybody in here work a job? You're a hired servant. In fact, there's a good argument in this fiat currency uh, that we have in this day. You ain't just a hired servant. You're a bond servant and chattel. Amen. So before you get so scandalized by the Word of God, understand this has been the way of the world. Uh, ever since man began to dwell uh, in the midst of one another. And, and, and uh, the Bible gives us certain prescribed principles. And so the Bible has already told us elsewhere in the book of Exodus that Hebrew servants would be let free on that uh, seventh year if they had a desire to do so. But listen to what the Bible says in this passage. Verse number 38. It says, I am the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as an hired servant. And as a sojourner he shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God. Down in verse 53, he continues, he says, As a yearly hired servant shall he be with him, and the other shall not rule with uh, uh, with, with rigor over him in thy sight. 
And if he be not redeemed in these years, meaning between the jubilees, then he shall go out in the year of jubilee, both he and his children with him. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So think about it with me for a moment. They were commanded to walk in faith every seven years. And then even in the Jubilee year, they had to trust God to provide for them. They were commanded to walk in fear. They couldn't move the boundaries that God had set. They weren't God and it wasn't their land and they couldn't live and go any old place they wanted. They had to fear the Lord and respect the boundaries. But then there's a third thing. Uh, A Hebrew uh, person might uh, fall upon hard times, might find themselves impoverished in deep and abiding debt, not be being able to pay that debt. They could sell themselves into the service of another. That man would go and would pay that debt for them. But the debt was not gone. The debt was merely transferred from between the hired servant and the person they had originally indebted themselves to and their new master, the person that had bought them to be their hired servant. Now, that was fine for a number of years. But in the Jubilee year, God commanded, all the old debts are forgiven. You cannot hold a debt over a man's head any longer. You had to let him free and let him go and let him and set him at liberty. You say, preacher, what was God teaching them? Well, number three, that they might walk in forgiveness. That they might recognize you couldn't hold a debt forever. Sooner or later, you was going to have to forgive that thing. Sooner or later, you was going to have to let them go. You couldn't be a master over them forever. You say, preacher, why is that? Because they didn't belong to you. They belonged to the Lord and you belong to the Lord. And you weren't allowed to hold that debt over them forever. And you say, preacher, what a beautiful truth that this is. And I, I would agree with that. I'm glad you said it. Amen. I would agree with you. It is a beautiful truth. And I love the way God just, just gives these pictures all throughout the Bible. And if I read my Bible correctly, then of course Israel, they went on to respect this Jubilee year and, 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 and the Sabbath and follow it every single year. And every year they forgave the debts and they trusted uh, the Lord. And, and, and every time that they came into it, they walked in the fear of God. They never moved the boundaries. And, but if I told you that, I wouldn't have read my Bible correctly. You know the great tragedy of the Jubilee? God meant this for their good. But... God goes to all this trouble in the entire chapter of the Bible and other places that touch on it. God sets forth these principles. And you know, you can look through all of Israel's history and you won't find one single occasion when they kept a Jubilee year. All the way from Sinai down to Calvary. You won't find one occasion when they kept a Jubilee year. We really have no great evidence that they ever even kept the Sabbath years. God had all this for them. And yet they never walked in the truth of it. Notice not only the reason for the Jubilee, but think with me for a moment about the rejection of the Jubilee. I don't know about you. Maybe I got more debt than you got. This Jubilee thing sounds like a pretty good deal. I like this, man. I mean, I listen, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't mind taking a year off, not doing the garden. Amen. That don't bother me. God will bless it. And he already has, man. We got, we got green beans and, and, and green tomatoes and, and okra and everything canned. And I mean, we'll be all right. Amen. And I kind of like that. And I, and listen, I kind of like this idea, uh, that you can just go, you know, buy a piece of property, live on it for 49 years. And, and then at the end of the day, it just, it just goes back. I especially like it if I sold a piece of property. Amen. Cause I tell you this right now, that money ain't going to be worth as much in 49 years as it is today. Amen. 
And uh, I, I kind of like that. And I kind of like this idea that if I get in debt, man, all I got to do is just just live 49, 50 years, and, and then all of a sudden my debt will just be forgiven, whether I paid anything on it at all. So here's my question. Why would the children of Israel reject the Jubilee year? I think there's probably three very simple things we could say about it, and it's regarded when we think about how they responded to it. Notice, number one, instead of walking by faith, here's what they did. They hoarded the bounty. Instead of surrendering the land to the Lord every seventh year, they said, well, you know, there's just too much money to be made to allow God that part of our time. They said, you know, if we labored, if we hustled, if we really worked, if we really poured in our energy... We could get to a place where we could get ahead and we wouldn't have to trust God anyway. We could just live any old way that we want. Hey, listen, I I, I want God to bless you. I wish Creflo Dollar was right. Amen. It's a tragedy. Old Jesse Duplantis ain't shooting straight. Amen. I'd love to have a Learjet, wouldn't you? I want God to bless you. I mean, just so much you don't even know what to say about it. But can I just remind you this? Not all of what we would call a blessing does God call a blessing. Uh, the New Testament, Christ tells a parable about a man whom God blesses. And instead of taking that bounty and that blessing and using it for God to glorify the Lord, the Bible says he didn't go and build churches, he didn't build orphanages, he didn't build schools, he didn't build mission works. He just built bigger barns. And he took that fruit and he laid it up. Bigger barn came after bigger barn. The Bible says that was all good and well. He spent his whole life building barns. And then one day God came calling. The Bible tells us that man died. And here's what the Bible says. And by the way, the Bible doesn't take the use of this word lightly. The Bible calls him a fool. He said, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And then who shall these things be? I'm just telling you this, and we're doing all right. Listen, we ain't floating no checks. Right, Brother Larry, we ain't got... We, we, ain't got, we, we threw the collection agencies off our trail, didn't we? We got, we got them down on the Pentecostal church down there thinking that's who it is. And uh, I, listen, so we ain't, we ain't hurting. And this, don't come, this comes from a heart that I have for you. Hey, listen, don't think you can so situate yourself in life that you don't need God anymore. Because what a pauper you'd be if you didn't need God anymore. We spend much of our lives trying to situate ourselves where we can just simply have a casual relationship with God whereby we see Him once a week and don't need Him any other day. But I'm here to tell you the worst thing in your life would be for God to bless you to such a degree that you no longer needed Him. What they did, instead of trusting the Lord, instead of taking what God had given them and putting it to the Lord's work, they hoarded the bounty. I I, I would say it this way, they refused the faith of dependence. They didn't want to have to trust God anymore. If you want to be what God wants you to be, you're going to have to trust God to be that. You won't, you won't find a way to be a successful Christian without having to trust the Lord. I see that they hoarded the bounty, but then there's a second thing they did. The Bible commands them to always reset these real estate deals, and yet for 490 years they never did it. Here's what they did. They, they not only hoarded the bounty, but they moved the boundaries in the land. God has much to say about this in the Old Testament. He warned them against removing the old landmarks and moving the boundaries and and resituating and resettling the land outside of His prescribed plan. And that's because God had a design for them that would bring them the most pleasure and the most joy and the most safety and the most security. I will say this, Israel was never in more danger than when she was moving her boundaries. 
And by the way, the modern nation of Israel spends all their time trying to reestablish boundaries that they never should have wiped away in the first place. If they had kept the boundaries when God set them, they wouldn't have to be fighting with machine guns and rockets to get them back. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. You say, preacher, why would they neglect this jubilee year? Because they thought they could live any old way they want and it wouldn't matter. If I was to give one phrase that defines modern Christianity is I can live any old way I want and it don't matter. (laughs) I can just move God's boundaries. And it's funny, we get mad at the preacher because he preaches on the boundaries of God. I didn't set the boundaries, but they're what's best for you. Uh, We get angry at the Lord because he puts these boundaries in our life. And yet we understand, even dealing with a small child, that the boundaries that the parents put upon them are for the protection and safety and well-being of the child. And yet we look at the boundaries that God's Word puts upon us and we chafe against them, we resist against them, we try to explain them away and excuse them away and warp them, twist them, saddle them so that they can be ridden to our purposes. I'm just telling you this. You move God's boundaries, you move them at your own peril. They not only hoarded the bounty and moved the boundaries, but I find that they also kept bond slaves. Instead of forgiving those debts, at the end of 49 years, they held on to those debts. Why? Well, because it was more financially lucrative to them. But also, no doubt, because some of those individuals had first indebted themselves to the person they had to sell themselves to in the first place. No doubt there was probably much socio-cultural and economic reasons that they did this, not merely because it was fiscally lucrative, but because no doubt they had developed a sort of class system whereby they felt empowered and superior to those that were around them. Say, said, preacher, why, why would they reject the Jubilee? Well, they, they refused the faith of dependence. They didn't want to trust the Lord. They refused the fear of disobedience. They just want to live any old way that they want. But then number three, they refused to forgive the debts that people had incurred. It's funny, man. We think somehow we're winning when we won't forgive. We know it's not true. But in that moment, in that rage, in that anger, in that bitterness, we've somehow convinced ourselves that we win when we don't forgive. I'll show you here in a moment what happens when we don't forgive. But suffice it to say now, hey, listen, in your life, you're the one that suffers the most when you refuse to forgive. You're the one that suffers the most when bitterness takes root. You're the one that suffers the most when you refuse to allow the grace of God to do a work of forgiveness in your heart and in your life. And it's real simple. They just didn't want to forgive those debts. They said we can benefit by them, we can profit by them, and we can maintain power by them. 490 years they refused to follow God's commandment. All the way from Moses down to the waning years of the kingdom of Judah, they refused to follow the Jubilee year. We have no real record of them following the Sabbath years as well. For about 490 years, they refused to walk in accordance with God's word. What do you think God would do to such a thing as that? Maybe he'll just ignore it. Maybe he'll pretend like it's not an issue. That's how most of us deal with sin. I'll just pretend it's not an issue. I'll pretend that it's not a problem. But can I tell you this? A holy God never ignores sin. He can't ignore sin. Say, preacher, how serious does God take sin? Serious enough to send His Son to Calvary. You want to know how serious God is about sin? Look at Calvary. That He would go to that length to deal with your sin instead of ignoring it. Tells you, tells you how serious He takes sin. And we'll find this, that everything that's God's, sooner or later He'll get. I want to read an interesting passage to you in the book of Second Chronicles. Now, as we said... About 490 years have passed from when the commandment was given to this point in time. 
The northern kingdom of Israel has already been annihilated, destroyed uh, by the Assyrian Empire. And now only the lone kingdom of Judah is left. Assyria has began to wane on the public stage. A coalition of, of the Medo-Persian and the Babylonian Empire have, have finished off the last vestiges of the Assyrian Empire. And now the Babylonians, their star is rising. The Bible says this in Second Chronicles 36, verse 11. It says, Zedekiah, he's a king over, is over Judah. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the emperor of the Babylonian empire who made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that's the Babylonians, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. All the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Why did God do all that? Look at verse 21 to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. The 70-year exile of Israel was not just some merely arbitrary number. Here's what God was doing. He was reclaiming every Sabbath year they had neglected. Think with me for a moment and then we'll close not only about the reason and the rejection of the Jubilee, but I want you to notice the reckoning of the Jubilee. I'll tell you this, God's going to get what's His. And I don't say that with any joy or delight, but I just want you to know, you say, preacher, I can live any old way I want. It won't matter. It won't affect me. Well, the devil may have convinced you of that, but I'm sorry it's not true. God will get what is His. They refuse to yield to Him those years those slaves, that land. And so here's what God did in verse 20 of Second Chronicles 36. Them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Notice three things about this and we'll be done. Notice number one, their barrenness. Here they had lived in the land. God said for six years, till the ground. For six years, plant the seed. For six years, reap the harvest. For six years, enjoy the bounty. But just in that seventh year, let the land rest and trust me. And you won't go hungry. You won't want for anything. I'll bless you in the sixth year. Hey, by the way, before they were ever called to act in faith, God had already proved His faithfulness. 
before they were ever commanded to let the land lay bare and God had already delivered a bounty. Let me just say to you, you say, preacher, it's tough walking by faith. It's not fair for God want me to walk by faith. Hey, but the God of glory has already proven Himself faithful to you time and time and time again. Hey, listen, faith in God is not a leap into the dark. It's a leap into His everlasting arms. He's proven Himself faithful. But they refused. They refused. They refused. So here's what God did. He said, you'll go to a place where you'll toil and you'll plant and you'll labor, but it won't be for your own blessing and it won't be for your own bounty. Because they wouldn't trust God and walk by faith, God removed any security they had enjoyed. Say, preacher, it's rough walking with God. Well, don't try walking without Him. Or you'll find out what rough really is. I tell you, I, and I thought that God, this thought occurred to me the other day. God smoked my heart with it. I've still not preached on it, but it's coming to a pulpit near you. Paul talked about the suffering of this world, and he said this, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. What do you think we're doing when we're complaining? When we're complaining, we're comparing. When we're complaining, we're saying, it ain't worth it no more. When we're complaining, we're saying, well, this life is just too tough. But I'm here to tell you, heaven's going to be worth every single tear that you shed in this world. And I'll tell you this, if you refuse to walk by faith, boy, we give God a bad rap. Oh, preacher, it's tough walking by faith. Well, you ought to try walking as a slave. You'll find out what rough is. You think God uses you hard. Let the devil be your master. He'll drive you with whip. He'll drive you with lance. He'll, he'll make your life miserable. He'll, he'll, he'll rob you of all joy. Because they wouldn't walk by faith, God took the bounty and left them with barrenness. I thought about not only their barrenness, but I thought about their boundaries. <laughs> all God's boundaries are too narrow, too strict. It's not fair for God to expect me just to give that land back after 50 years. Not fair for God to expect me to dwell just in this several hundred square mile radius. Wonder how big their slave quarters were. Wonder how long that chain Nebuchadnezzar put on them was. Wonder, hey, listen, I, I wonder how big that plot of land they had to sow and reap and toil in in Babylon was. Let me say it this way. Hey, listen, because they wouldn't respect and fear God's boundaries, God made them prisoners and took away any liberty they had enjoyed. The Babylonians put a lot stricter boundaries on them than God ever had. Say, preacher, it's not fair. I can't live and do what I want. No, you get to live and do what God wants. If you want to know what it is to not be able to live and do what you want, serve the devil. You'll find he'll put chains on you. You'll find he'll put a collar on you. You'll find that he will shame you and bind you in your disgrace, your humiliation, your iniquity, your addiction, and your brokenness. And you'll learn what it is to have boundaries. Hey, God's bound. I like what the New Testament says. Christ says, take my yoke upon you. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. You want a heavy burden? Pick up the world's burden. It's heavy. You want a heavy burden? Pick up sin's burden. It's heavy. But His yoke, hey, it's easy. His burden, it's light. But if you won't respect the boundaries of God, the, hey, listen, God will allow the devil to put boundaries in your life far deeper and far narrower than what you've ever experienced. I thought of their barrenness. I thought of their boundaries. But then I thought about their bondage. It's striking how similar but inverse, how, 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 how symmetric the situation is. Here they are living in the land. And they have some brother, some fellow countryman that falls on hard times and must sell himself into their service. 
At the end of 49 years, I can see that man coming in with a copy of the Word of God and showing it to his master and saying, Now, you're a good Israelite, and I'm a good Israelite, and we love the Lord, and we love His Word, and I'm just here to report for my final day of duty. It's the Jubilee year starts tomorrow, and my debt will be forgiven. I can see that man with envy and covetousness and cruelty in his heart taking and ripping up the Word of God and saying, That has no bearing on my life. The debt that you owe is still owed. You'll be a slave to me until the day that your debt is paid with interest compounded. And then I think about a split screen, parallel picture of that same man being clasped into Babylonian chains, having a collar put around his neck, shackles put on his feet, and being marched hundreds of miles as a slave to the land of Babylon. Let me say it this way. Because they wouldn't forgive and set at liberty their slaves, God made them slaves themselves. Preacher, I can't forgive. You better forgive. Or the very same chains you're trying to put on them, you'll find on your wrists. Say, but preacher, if I, if I forgive, they'll hurt me again. Well, maybe that might be true, but it'd be far better than the chains of bitterness that you'll put on yourself. Preacher, it's not fair they did me wrong. Yeah, I know. And if fair was what it was, we'd all be in hell this morning. But you just have a very simple choice this morning. It's either going to be forgiveness or bondage. You can say, well, preacher, it's just not fair. No, it's by faith and by grace and by God's help and for God's glory that we forgive. Forgiveness is an act of faith. You understand that, right? Forgiveness is not about you feeling in such a good place that you can forgive. It's about you standing on the authority of God's Word and saying, I don't feel any better, but by faith I'm going to trust God that if I forgive Him, He'll give me a heart for Him and He'll give me peace about it. Say, but preacher, I might not feel peace. Well, the Lord will give you peace. You say, but preacher, there might be days that it's hard. Well, those are days you need to be close. But if you refuse to forgive sooner or later, you say, preacher, I won't forgive that debt. Then it'll be you that wears the chains, not them. They'll go about their life probably never giving a thought or care. And yet you'll be the one giving them rent-free space in your mind. You'll be the one giving them a privileged place in your heart. You'll be the one putting chains on your heart and on your life. I'm just saying this this morning. We have a choice, jubilee or judgment. It ain't a question of if God's going to get it. It's a question of how He's going to get it. He's going to get what gives Him glory. But it's a question of whether we're going to yield to Him willingly and joyfully. And let Him have His place proper in our lives and enjoy the blessing and benefit and bounty of it. Hey, by the way, one of these days, they're going to occupy more land than they've ever occupied. If they just lived in obedience to God, they'd already be in it. Boy, it's a long road, this path of sin. Paul says in Ephesians that these things are inconvenient. There's no more inconvenient life than a life of sin, of disobedience. You say, but preacher, it's not fair. No, it's, it's Bible, and it's more than fair. It's gracious. Amen. So you have a choice this morning, jubilee or judgment. I believe we ought to just yield to God what's His and let His favor and His blessing be upon us. Let's bow together this morning. Musicians going to come and play. The altar's open, and you're invited to come. You don't have to wait for a single moment. You don't have to wait for a note to be played. You don't have to wait for anyone else to go. If God touched your heart about some matter, why don't you meet Him in this altar? Won't you yield that matter to the Lord? You say, Preacher, I don't know if I can. By faith you can. By the strength of God you can. Won't you slip out of your seat? God's dealt with your heart. and Just meet Him down here in this altar.
whatever that matter. It may have been something I preached on. It may, I may not preach. I may not say a word about it, but the Holy Ghost did. Won't you meet him in this altar? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.